congregation we have the opportunity now to open up in our Bibles to the book of Exodus, Exodus chapter 7. And this morning's sermon passage is Exodus 7 verses 1 through 13. Now the very word of our God, Exodus 7, 1 through 13. And the Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you like God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron shall be your prophet. You shall speak all that I command you, and your brother Aaron shall tell Pharaoh to let the people of Israel go out of his his land. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and though I multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt, Pharaoh will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt and bring my hosts, my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great acts of judgment. The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring out the people of Israel from among them. Moses and Aaron did so. They did just as the Lord commanded them. Now Moses was 80 years old and Aaron 83 years old when they spoke to Pharaoh. Then the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, When Pharaoh says to you, Prove yourselves by working a miracle, then you shall say to Aaron, Take your staff and cast it down before Pharaoh, that it may become a serpent. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did just as the Lord commanded. Aaron cast down his staff before Pharaoh and his servants, and it became a serpent. Then Pharaoh summoned the wise men and the sorcerers, and they, the magicians of Egypt, also did the same by their secret arts. For each man cast down his staff, and they became serpents. But Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs. Still Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he would not listen to them, as the Lord had said. This Father, reading of God's holy and inspired word. Congregation, please, for just a moment, bow your heads with me for another time of prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, once again, we are before your word on this Lord's Day. And we pray as we walk through this passage together, through the preaching of your word, that we may indeed hear Jesus Christ, the King of kings and Lord of lords who sits at your right hand with all authority on heaven and earth. And we pray that we would hear his voice. For it is in his name we pray. Amen. And amen. The congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, as we step into chapter 7, let's know God has heard the cries of his people. God has commissioned Moses to get his people out of slavery, out of bondage. This, in this little passage right here, seven, this is, in some respects, the beginning of the Exodus. It, we could say it goes all the way back to the book of Genesis with the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and the twelve with the promise that they would indeed go to Egypt and they would suffer for a time, but God would hear and He would deliver them. So the Exodus, in a sense, has a prophetic word all the way back in Genesis. 
And then it can, we can say, well, when Exodus starts, you have Moses' birth. But here's the moment. Here's the beginning of this Exodus with Moses and Aaron, his brother, getting ready to go to Egypt. Going to Egypt for the battle or the encounter with Pharaoh. We have before us that that very thing, that very theme. God commands Moses to speak through Aaron and and confront Pharaoh. Speak through Aaron and confront Pharaoh. As we examine this theme in this passage, we'll first consider Moses and what that means that Moses was to speak through his brother Aaron, his older brother Aaron, mind you, and although my brother and I are three years apart, we're 17 months apart, so I don't know. Sometimes he just looks and I know what he's thinking. We're not twins, but still, Irish twins. That's a thing. You don't want to play Pictionary with us, let's just go put it that way. But here we have them. Aaron and Moses, separated for 40 years, separated by King, by Pharaoh's walls for another 40 years. And here they are now, reunited. Moses is to speak through Aaron. Aaron's to speak to Pharaoh. But at the same time, in this, all of this, in this whole thing, you have the reality that God is confronting Pharaoh through Moses, through Aaron. It's a confrontation. I don't know about y'all, but some people, they like confrontations. Moses is not one of them, as we can see. But confrontation, some people thrive on that. And here we have it. Moses, Aaron, go confront Pharaoh. Let's consider, first of all, that reality that Moses, if we get that whole chain link right, Moses, you're going to hear from me. You're going to talk to Aaron. And then Aaron's going to talk to Pharaoh. My, my, my daughter's almost to that age when she comes home. And it's, and it's like, you know, so-and-so said this, but then so-and-so had said this. And then it's like, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Fifteen minutes. And I'm still not sure what happened. Or who said what. And why they said it. Right? That's one of the reasons why Moses just finally just says it's, it's that he said. As you keep on reading through Exodus, it's Moses that's doing a lot of the talking, but we see here how the telephone chain works. God speaks to Moses. Moses speaks to Aaron. And Aaron speaks to Pharaoh. And we see this beginning there in verses 1 and 2. As the Lord said again to Moses, you're to go to Pharaoh. Aaron's to speak. In other words, Moses, you're going to be the vessel that I use to communicate to Aaron and Aaron communicate to Pharaoh. And what is that overall message that they're supposed to communicate? Let my people go. Let them out of the land. They're no longer your slaves. You don't own them. We need to first understand the reason these two verses exist for us as we walk through this passage. They take us back to one of Moses' excuses in earlier chapters when God confronts them with the burning bush. 
telling him then, it's time for you to go and let my people go. What's Moses say? You know, he's, it's not that he's not wanting to go, or he's, it's not that he's not wanting to obey God's call to lead the people out of bondage by confronting Pharaoh. He says, it's this, I am no longer, I'm not a good communicator. I have a hard time talking or being a speaker. Oh, well, that doesn't stop leaders in the United States, and it shouldn't have stopped Pharaoh. But here we have it. He said he could not speak. This has led some to assume that what he means is Moses had a speech impediment. We've all, some of us have probably heard that, that view. Well, <clears throat> that's not exactly how the Bible portrays it. We need to notice a few things from Exodus and also a few things from Stephen's sermon in the book of Acts. Moses had spent 40 years in the wilderness taking care of sheep and living with his in-laws. Sounds like a, yeah, sounds like a retirement plan, doesn't it? No. <laughs> Which you guys can talk later. <laughs> but this is what he's been doing for 40 years. Taking care of sheep, living with his in-laws. It's exciting. What has he not been doing? He's not been involved in politics. He's not been involved with one of the powerhouses of the known world. He's not been involved with Egypt and the court of Pharaoh. Everybody see that? Instead, he's been speaking a common language, been speaking to sheep, communicating with his in-laws. Moses, when it comes to politics and it comes to the decorum that one should have in front of Pharaoh, is going to be a bit rusty. It's also, when you read Genesis very carefully, you get the reality that shepherds and farmers were of the lower class of Egypt. They didn't get to talk to Pharaoh. And they wouldn't know how. So God says, Alright. Aaron. Aaron. Here comes your brother. He's older. He's been doing this a little longer. He's the one. You're going to communicate to Aaron. And Aaron will be the one to talk to Pharaoh. Consider what our passage points out. Pharaoh will hear from Aaron what Moses says God has said. That's the point. This language of Moses will be God. God's speech. And Aaron, Aaron's going to be the prophet. Thus says the Lord. And what is Pharaoh? He's the one receiving it. But just like any other apologetic debate, it's never the two people. It's the audience that matters. It's those that are hearing. They're the ones that are going to be receiving the chilling message. And they're not going to like Pharaoh's responses, or at least nine out of the ten. See, this passage is not saying Moses is a god. It says you're going to be like God. Right? God will communicate to Moses. Moses communicates to Aaron. Aaron 
Aaron communicates to Pharaoh. Moses and Aaron will be in the presence of Pharaoh, but they are all, let's get this, they are all in the presence of the Almighty God. There's no need to communicate back. It's a one-way conversation. Pharaoh, you do this or else. There's no negotiation. This is where the passage goes. How God is planning to redeem His people. To get His people out of Exodus. This takes us to verses 3 through 7. God does indeed tell him. First of all, notice what He says there. Just a few things. First of all, notice what God says He's going to do to Pharaoh's heart. He will harden his heart. This, brothers and sisters, is at the heart of the Gospel. There are some who God will save, and there are others whom God will leave in their hardened rebellion called sin. That's, in essence, what the Passover also gets at. There are some who are going to die, and there are some who will not. There are some who find salvation. This is the passage Paul goes to in Romans to explain this mystery of divine election and reprobation. The first head of doctrine of the canons of Dort in our three forms of unity. It's not a T, by the way. Neither tulip nor taco works. Tacos, though, is a good one. I like Anyway, but the key here is that God keeps Pharaoh's heart hard. God says He's doing that. He's active in that. He does not give him a new soft heart. A redeemed heart. He does not renew his mind to the ways of God. Instead, he continues to let Pharaoh be Pharaoh. He allows him to continue in his sin. To run wild in the rebellion of sin. This is why our passage can speak of God hardening Pharaoh's heart and Pharaoh being responsible for his own depraved actions. But secondly, God will multiply his signs and wonders in the land of Egypt. We see the reason for God's keeping Pharaoh this way is that his glory could be revealed through his mighty acts of redemption, the ten plagues. And then later, the wandering through the wilderness even includes here. But this is it. He's going to get his people out of Egypt through his mighty hand, which will save his people. (coughs) This will then cause thirdly for the people of Israel and Egypt to see the power of God. They will see the work of God. They will see His might. They will see the ten plagues. And some of them they will even see coming. Because Moses, through Aaron, will warn them. This is what's coming. They will see God discriminate between Egypt and Israel. Where the plagues will be in Egypt, but not in the land of Goshen where the Hebrews live. 
God will save His people with His power. And finally, we recognize that Moses and Aaron did what God commissioned them to do. There at the end of verse 7, they did exactly what the Lord did. They went to Egypt. Moses was 80 and Aaron was 83 when they first confronted Pharaoh. They obeyed the voice of the Lord. This takes us then to verses 8 through 13 and the confrontation. Moses confronts Pharaoh. And as Moses approaches Pharaoh and immediately Pharaoh reveals that he is indeed an unbeliever by this one request, by demanding a sign, demanding proof of Moses and Aaron. We see that in verses 8 through 10. We see, first of all, as we look at verses 8 and 10 together, we need to notice that God called it. God nailed it. See, he knew exactly what Pharaoh would say and do. He knew. There's nothing that catches God off guard. We need to know that, brothers and sisters. Think about it this way. When it comes to events, when it comes to people's actions, has it ever occurred to you that nothing has ever occurred to God? Oh, I didn't see that one. It's time for plan B. No. No. How could it? It happens to us all the time. Because we don't know a lot. I can't put a number to it. My 7th grade English teacher would hate that I just used the word a lot. She had that up on the board not only for two reasons, but one, to say that it's really two, two words. A, and then lot. I don't Thank you, you know, Miss. I even forgot her name. But she wanted get. She wanted me tested for ADHD. My mom said we don't need to get him tested. So, true story. That's a true story. The other reason was to say don't use it. Actually, use real numbers. And I don't have real numbers. Because I don't know the depth of knowledge that exists. But God does. That's the point. God's all-knowing. God is all-knowing. He knew Pharaoh would ask for a sign. If for no other reason than the fact, as Jesus points out in the Gospels, only wicked generations seek after signs and wonders. So God gives him a sign. <laughs> I got your sign, and it's a staff. I got your sign right here, and he's getting ready to give it. Aaron was to throw his staff on the ground. Remember, this is what Moses went through in the burning around the burning bush. Three signs. Here's one of them. His staff, his staff would turn into a serpent. One of the other signs was Moses was to put his hand into his jacket and come out, and it would be covered in leprosy put it back in and be healed. That one we don't see happen. We don't hear of that one happening. They skip from the serpent to the staff to the sign. That's really in what would be my next sermon. 14 to the end of the chapter. The water becomes blood. The first plague. 
But notice what happens to the staff. It turns into a serpent. Now in the instructions Moses has given, you grab the serpent and it turns back into a staff. But that will happen in just a moment. We need to recognize is that God has brought Moses and Aaron and they're prepared. They're prepared with signs and wonders. They're prepared for what Pharaoh's going to say. They're ready. Pharaoh would not see the serpent and then cave. He's like, oh, a serpent. Oh, no. Alright, that's not how this is going to happen. They are ready. They are prepared. There's the next sign that's to come. They're prepared for the long haul. These, these ten plagues, these are the battles, but God's prepared to win the war. He's prepared. He's already got Pharaoh in a checkmate. And they haven't even moved a piece on the board. But before we close this sermon, consider one one very curious moment in this piece of history. 11 through 13. 11 through 13. And here we see that Pharaoh's magicians, well, they did it too. They did it too. You see, we have three things to consider here. First, Pharaoh calls for his wise men and sorcerers or magicians to come and show the power of their gods. To show the power of Egypt. This is like the challenge between Elijah and the prophets of Baal. 450 of them against one. That's fair. Actually, it is. <laughs> it's, you know, Elijah's, uh, where's the rest of them? Come on. This is just, it's just a white belt testing when it compares to God's might. Notice here, we don't actually have the number of the Egyptian sorcerers, but we're told there are more than one. There's more than one of them. And this is the way of the world. We need to understand this. This is the way of the world. Overpower you with numbers. Might makes right. Meek is weak. 80-year-old, 83-year-old, bring as many sorcerers in here we can. Let's show these guys what we can do. They've got one serpent. Let's make more than one. Let's show them. But the way the Lord works, His Word is more powerful than any weapon. You see, we see secondly that these sorcerers were able to turn the rods into serpents too. Many people have raised the question They've struggled with this. Was this magic? Well, the answer, according to Exodus 7, 11 through 13, is, well, yes. Look at what the Bible says. They did it too. They did it too. Moses is clear. I'm not able get this, not able to explain how 
they were able to do this, how they were able to accomplish this task, whether it was through some mystical, demonic power, I don't know, or through sleight of hand, like David Blaine spitting up frogs in other people's drinking glasses, which is just weird and disgusting. Oh, they're going to they're gonna all of a sudden make frogs appear here in a moment too, so David Blaine's not the first. <laughs> Moses doesn't give us the time or day to explain that, and we ought not to sit back and try to out-explain Moses. When the Bible's silent, we ought to be too in some places. You see, we need to understand what is clear that Moses saw. He told us their, ser- their staffs turned into serpents too. Pharaoh saw it, and he was convinced something, oh, this isn't a feat, this isn't something special. Look, what you just did, we did three times, four times more. Ooh. <laughs> While there may be some simple explanation, the Bible just does not provide that for us. And this is a very humbling moment for all of us in here, especially as we live in a Western world and a Western culture that wants to try to explain every little bitty detail, especially how rain falls to the earth. We want to explain everything except for why a floating balloon has made it into the United States. We want to try to explain everything. We want to have some kind of rational conclusion as to why this happened. And really what we need to do is humble ourselves before the Lord and recognize we're not going to know everything because we're not God. We're not going to be able to explain everything because we're not God. Some things just are for God's glory. We must come terms with the simple fact that there are spiritual things in this world that we are not able to explain. Some things just do not have what we would hope to be rational explanations. We're just not going to know. But thirdly, and this is, this is where the passage ends. <clears throat> Aaron's staff, his staff serpent, serpent staff thing, overpowers the others and consumes them. This only causes Pharaoh's heart to grow harder, but let's, let's imagine it this way. They've got three staffs, four staffs, however many it is, that just turned into serpents, and now they're celebrating. Now they're exciting, but they don't realize the clock is still ticking, and Aaron and Pharaoh have the ball. And there's one last shot. And it goes in. They lose, but they're already off the court celebrating. It's a losing battle. They've lost the game. See, this is the wonderful reality that God is mightier. And they were too busy celebrating the fact that they were able to do the same thing that they fell to lose sight that they're now walking out of the room without their staffs. They don't exist anymore. They've been consumed. And Aaron, he has his. God has showed up through Moses and Aaron to set his people free from the bondage of tyranny 
of Pharaoh. And so as we come here this morning to a close, we find much to be thankful for. Just with this little bit of history, we find ourselves much to be thankful for, much to be encouraged with from our passage. Manus. Her name was Manus. Her name was Manus. First, we must recognize God's plans never fails. God's plans never fail. That's what we see here. We all know the Exodus story. They get out of Egypt. Even when it seems everything is going against you, you're now having to make bricks without straw. It's now getting harder. When everything's going the wrong way, according to the way you want it to go, what you find in the end of God's plans are always wonderful and for your good. To make you stronger. To more like His Son. To be better. And so the hardships you face today, the losses and crosses that you struggle with, that are put there so that you can grow in Christ. So that you can mature by putting on more and more of Christ in your life. And so that you can even learn how to suffer as Christ suffered. And as Peter put it, and even consider it joy to persevere in Christ. In other words, as we come out of these various trials of life, we too are able to say with Joseph to his brothers, what you meant for evil, God meant for my good. That's a mature view of life. But secondly, we must also understand the simple fact that we may not understand everything. We may die not understanding why this happened to me. I had one widow die not understanding why her son died in a car accident. And she looked at me and she said, why? And my answer was, I don't know. I don't know. And sometimes we die not knowing. We may not understand every piece of doctrine clearly. We may not get it all. We may not understand every single passage clearly. We may not understand certain aspects of life. We may not, and for sure, we may not understand everything that God has ordained in this life. But this is the simple truth of Deuteronomy 29.29. That the revealed things, those things that are here in the Scriptures, those things that God has revealed they're for us and for our children, but the secret things, there are things that are still secret. That they, they belong to God and God alone. And too many people try to pry into the depths of that secret knowledge of God. We need to find a contentment in God's revelation. Contentment in what He's provided for us. From this, we come to understand that we are limited we are limited. We have limits. Sure, we ought to try to push those limits. 
try to know and, and grow the best we can. But we're limited. And so when you encounter a passage like this with these magicians and sorcerers, liberals and rationalists want to try to prove that it was this. Take what the Bible says. The same liberals and rationalists are the same ones that are going to sit down and argue God couldn't have created everything in six days. I don't know how he did it, but he said he did it in six days. I wasn't there. We'll take his word for it. You see, Moses is the inspired author. We are not. The third and final. We must also be mindful of the comforting message of the Exodus. Of the Exodus. That God hears our cries and He comes to save us. That He knows where we are in life. See, this is the message of the entire Bible. From Genesis to Revelation, God saves His people through His Son by the power of His Spirit. That's the Gospel. That's the message. Therefore, we must recognize that God does indeed hear our prayers when we call to Him. And He seeks to save. God does indeed have a plan. And we, we see it mapped out in the Scriptures from beginning to end. He gives Moses a detailed description of what will happen even in the, to the fact that Pharaoh will say no. He knows. So as we sit here this morning, we, we must reside in this comfort that our knowing God, that our all-knowing God has a plan. And there's no plan A or plan B. There's just the plan. He has the plan. And you are in that plan by faith. You are part of that plan by faith. And He will see you through it. He will get you from point A, the land of sin, misery, and bondage, to point B, a land that you did not prepare. <laughs> that's got fields that you did not plant the crops. A house that you did not build. The Bible describes that land that we're going to is a land that's inheritance is in Christ. Where robber cannot steal, moth cannot eat, and rust cannot destroy. That's not right now. But that's coming. And when you're in Christ, that's the land you're looking forward to. That's where our redemption is taking us. Amen. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank You for providing for us the Redeemer, our Savior Jesus. We thank You for indeed giving to us the hope that we have of salvation in Christ. That we can already begin to see that reality with the resurrection of the dead. That we can continue to read in the Scriptures 
of what is to come. And we pray now that You would continue to comfort us by Your Spirit to look forward to that day when our Savior returns for us and we live forever with Him. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
We confess our dependence for pardon and cleansing upon the perfect sacrifice of Christ. We base our hope of eternal life upon His perfect obedience and righteousness. And we humbly resolve to deny ourselves, crucify our old nature, and follow Christ as becomes those who bear His name. Shall we pray? Merciful God and Father, we beseech You that in this supper in which we cherish the blessed memory of the bitter death of Your dear Son, Jesus Christ, You will so work in our hearts by the Holy Spirit that with true confidence we may give ourselves up more and more to Your Son, Jesus Christ, in order that our burdened and contrite hearts through the power of the Holy Spirit may be nourished and refreshed with His true body and blood, yes, with Christ Himself, who is true God and man, the only heavenly bread. We pray that we may no longer live in our sins, but that Christ may live in us and we in Him, so we may truly be partakers of the new and everlasting testament, the covenant of grace. We do not doubt that you will forever be our gracious Father, never again imputing our sins to us, but providing us with all things necessary for body and soul as your dear children and heirs. Grant us also your grace so that we may take up our cross, cheerfully deny ourselves, confess our Savior, and in all our tribulation with an uplifted head expect our Lord Jesus Christ to come from heaven, for he will recreate our mortal bodies in the likeness of his glorified body and take us to himself in eternity. Be pleased also, O Lord, to bless these elements of bread and wine so that receiving them in remembrance of the passion and death of your dear Son, we may by his faith be made partakers of his crucified body and shed blood with all his benefits to our spiritual nourishment and to the glory of your holy name. Amen.